let's get going. Happy Merry Christmas, everybody! Ho, 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 ho! I hope you went and you had some delicious eggnog. You, uh, you sat around your fire. Uh, you, you, you stayed up for, for Santa Claus last night and fell asleep only to find all of your cookies and your big screen TV have gone missing. Just kidding, of course. Santa's not gonna steal your television set. It's me, your managing editor for Wrestling Inc., Nick Houseman, back here with a very special Christmas edition of the Winkly. And if you're listening to this, it is Christmas Day. Uh, it is a day of, uh, of celebration, of present giving. And if you're looking for something to do to kill some time in the afternoon, then you're here listening to the Winkly here with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time, wherever you may be, on the bus, in the kitchen, with your hand up a turkey, whatever it may be. We're going to have a great time here today. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are what we are doing right now is we are doing uh, the best of Winkly 2019. Yesterday we had part one. It was an AEW-themed episode. It had Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, MJF, Orange Cassidy. It's great. Go back, listen to it. These are some of our biggest, most notable interviews of 2019, and today is not going to disappoint. Uh, right after I finish uh, you know, all my jibber-jabbering here in just a minute, you're going to get to hear five of my favorite interviews from 2019. We're going to be kicking it off with my July 9th interview with none other than Kevin Von Erich. Uh, as a Texan, this was easily, easily one of my favorite interviews of the year. So you're going to hear from Kevin Von Erich. Then we're going to hop over to May 15th interview with Kurt Angle, August 7th interview with the bad guy Scott Hall, then we'll go to SummerSlam weekend, August 11th. I got to catch up with Dolph Ziggler on the eve hours. Not even the eve. It was like 1230 in the morning when we recorded this. He was about to go up against Goldberg. And, of course, we all know how that played out. So you're going to hear from Dolph. And last but not least, at the end of the show here today, uh, again, one of my favorite interviews of the whole year, one that got a lot of buzz and I'm very proud of, Effie. Effie is going to shut us down here today for part two of the Winkley. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Without further ado, I'll turn it over right now to Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ross. Well, Ross and Marshall. Let's see. They're they're tag. They just finished tagging with Lawler and, and MLW. And uh, no, how'd you like the match? I, I thought it was great. How'd I mean, you like? I thought it was great. I did too. I, yeah, I did too. I thought it was a it was a pull apart, you know. And so they're all they're usually just uh, you, you don't know who to watch. You know, it's uh, it's mayhem, chaos. But uh, I thought that evidently these these two guys were like. Uh, just really running roughshod over everyone. That's kind of what the doctor ordered. So yeah. we'll see. But I believe that it's going to be a good, uh, a good, a really good relationship. I'm, I got a good feeling about this company and all of wrestling today. The way the young guys are so hungry, they want to. Uh, there was indie indie guys too. I mean, they're getting some respect. And you know, there are some guys out there that don't deserve. It, but then there are a lot of guys that do too. You know, there are guys that are just not picked up that have a lot of talent. And so I'm glad to see the day like this come. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, we've already kind of started conversing. Do you mind if we just roll right into the interview? Is that all right? Oh, sure. I thought we were, Nick. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I thought we I, were I, too. It feels like it. So I'm going to say right now, uh, my guest at this time, the man you've been hearing right now talking to you uh, with me is the, uh, of course, the former multi-time NWA champion. He's a WWE Hall of Famer, Kevin Von Eric. Kevin, I usually do the big spiel at the top, but I'm already, I'm already so into the conversation. We, we just got to keep this going here. Um, you know, <laughs> you... No, Nick, I thought you were a reporter. I didn't know we were going to do a radio show, so I wasn't ready for it. So I'm ready for a radio show. Let's go. No, no, that's that's fine. Well, all this stuff's going to get written up anyway. I always keep the – we release the – I mean, you know, use every part of the Buffalo, that kind of deal. So we'll get the audio out there in the podcast, and we'll write up your, your comments for posts and everything. But, man, it is just – Kevin, it is so cool – to hear you talking about independent pro wrestling, talking about your sons, Ross and Marshall, uh, working with MLW here. You know, you already had some really nice things to say about MLW, but before we, you know, before we get back to that, you know, just in general here, 
you know, how has it been uh, watching your sons, Ross and Marshall, uh, get into the business of pro wrestling? Were you hesitant to, to let them take this route in life? Well, I'll tell you, Nick, for me, it's just been great. I, I, I was telling you earlier that I did have a really positive outlook on the way indie wrestling is looked at now. I mean, there was a time when it was just so, uh, it was just, uh, the guys weren't, uh, they, 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 they couldn't carry the load. Now that now I see a lot of guys that can, now there are guys out there that can't, but I, it's, I think it's a good, it's a great, uh, atmosphere for a young guy today because it is wide open again. And it's, this is when, this is the things like this conditions like this is uh, when wrestling can really blow again, uh, really take off, really blow up again. And Nick, I say that because I remember when I was young, how this was, to me, wrestling was kind of in a rut. It looked like it was back then. I'm talking back in 76, 75, uh, 77. I, got, I came in in 79, I think. But uh, wrestling was kind of in a rut. And, uh, and in a way, you could feel it. It was just a, uh, um, a malaise, kind of, you know. It was not. But then when my brothers and I got in, with young, we weren't the first. We were the first young guys to really get in and, and work on top, you know. And it's. It, we, it, it was hard work, but it was, uh, but it was a new day, you know, and we brought a new, a crossover crowd with us. It, it, they quit selling so much beer and, uh, and, uh, tacos and burgers. And it was more candy and cotton candy because a lot of kids were coming and, and especially young girls, you know? And so it, it was a, a different crowd that they'd had. And I think, Nick, I really think that day is coming back. I think that it's going to be really exciting for the fans. Now, it's, it's interesting to hear because obviously you were, you were picking up the torch of the Von Erich legacy. Now, now your sons are picking up the torch of the, the Von Erich legacy here. You know, what advice are you giving to them right now about dealing with the pressure of, of the last name? Well, uh, you know, there's really no advice you can give on that, Nick. It's it's pressure, and it's really good for you, believe it or not. It's like it might keep you up at night. It might interfere with your your concentration on the few days before the show, you might get nervous and all, but it's really good to have that pressure because you produce under pressure. I mean, diamonds come from pressure, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good thing for the boys. What I tell them is at this stage of your career, don't pick up bad habits. You know, you learn from everybody you wrestle. I've had them go, I try to make sure they've got a, my father as a father as a professional wrestler and a father and I want them to have a diverse um, repertoire. You know, I want to be able to wrestle uh, and go South Africa or, or, or India and be able to leg wrestle with anyone. Or to go to the Middle East and be able to do throws above the waist, the catchers catch can style, all the different types of wrestling. I want them to know a little of everything. And then when they're in the ring with someone, they've got, they can surprise them. And that's what's important. When you're in the ring with a pro, you've got to give them something they're not used to. I mean, you want to kill a king, you've got to kill a king. That's what boys know. And so that's their you know, that's kind of what they shoot for. They want to make a name for themselves. And to do that, you've got to be patient and you've got to take the good and leave what's not good. But it's all a learning experience. Now, you talk a lot about the different styles uh, you, you want your boys to, to pick up here. So they were very well-rounded. You know, in general, the style of pro wrestling has evolved quite a bit, obviously, since the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. I mean, what do you think of the, the current style of, of professional wrestling? Well, I think it's changing all the time, you know, but Nick, it's a, a it, it's kind of like, it, it, I think it's natural. It's a, everything changes, but it's not going to change to the point. It's uh you know, I thought the, for instance, I, I don't like the idea of a, of a barbed wire or broken glass, stuff like that in the ring. I, I want to get in the ring. I want to beat my opponent. That's what my dad taught me to do, you know, getting there with all that junk. And so that's a, 
there, you know, there's take the good, leave the bad. There are some things that, you know, that I'm sure there's a demand for it, but you know, you don't want to risk losing your eye and something like that, or, you know, just, there's just better ways to, to make a living. So I'm opinionated on some things. I'm a Puritan, I suppose, on my wrestling, but you know, that's just the way, you know, the way I'm made. And, uh, and that's all I know to teach my son. This is the, uh, it's what I've learned. And so, yeah, I don't think I'm doing them wrong. I'm just teaching what I know, and it's, it'll, I'm sure it'll be better for it. Now, now I, under, I totally understand the stuff about the glass and the barbed wires, and there's definitely a market, like you say, right now for that. But just in general, the, the quicker pace, the, the high, you know, I feel like there's more flips, right? That's what they say. It's so much more flippy. It's so much more gymnastics-oriented now. Are you a fan of that, or do you push your, your boys to, to wrestle more traditional style? Well, yes and no, Nick. Yes and no. Remember now, my brothers and I, what I was telling you earlier, we wanted to change this business. We really did. And we were on the way to doing it. But we wanted to make it faster. We wanted to make it more aggressive and about two times or three times more intense. We wanted uh, we, we weren't so stuck on 30-minute matches and even 20-minute matches. 15 minutes is a good time for a match. 20 minutes is, is you know perfect if you know what you're doing. But uh, quality, not quantity. I wanted the uh, I want the uh, we loved uh, professional football, the slow motion, the collisions. And we loved rock concerts with the lasers and the explosions and with the music. Music can draw, um, inspire feelings in people that, that are really strong and, and really good for an entrance. To get the people as keyed up as you are, to get them psyched for what you're about to go in that ring and do, you want the crowd with you. And it feels good when they are, but that music has got to be there. So this is all kind of what we were doing all along. Now, the, the stuff with the acrobatic stuff, I don't like that if, because it's... It, it, the the it has to be all about beating your man. It has your opponent is number one. Not doing tricks that may just happen in the match, but uh, may just fancy curry. But I don't think a man should get in there and do acrobats. My dad told me not to be an acrobat when I was a kid, and I tried not to be. But uh, so yeah, I wouldn't acrobat. This is for him. We just uh, defeat our man, and so however it gets, comes it comes about is okay with me, really. Okay, and and you know, let's get back here to, to MLW a bit and, and the work that Ross and Marshall are doing. You know, uh, why why do you think that MLW is the the big platform they've landed on here right now? I would imagine after the incredible Dark Side of the Ring episode uh, about your family, which we can talk about later. You know, there was a lot of attention around you guys. Was MLW just the first to reach out, or, or were there a couple offers? I guess that they were weighing. Oh no, they they've always uh, they. You know, they they talked to WWE and all the the big companies, but they they didn't want to do that. They wanted to, um, they kind of have an idea of what they want out of their life. And I'm glad glad to hear that. So uh, it's it's not that at all. It was that they, uh, yeah, they, I guess they they would say that they're not ready. I'd say they are, but they know exactly what they mean. At the time, they didn't. Because when you go to WWE, it's going to be every day. Every for months on end, and or and you know, how long you work, it's just it, it, they don't want to do that right now. They live in Hawaii, they're living and they're with their dad, and they're learning stuff. You know, it's just they, they're traveling all over the world, and it, or they have been these, you know, they were they went to the uh, dojos in Japan to start out, they've been to the, the Middle East and the and the South American, they've seen all these different styles, and it's kind of really what I wanted for them to be diverse, be able to uh to surprise somebody, to, uh, to be able to, to surprise everybody. And so 
And I, I'm telling you, and I'm excited about it because I know this is a, a, a great day coming. And this MLW are just a bunch of hungry young killer cats. And that's what I want my boys to be. Uh, the guys that are going to keep making exciting shows, that's going to keep the people watching, that's going to make the people watch. And then my boys will be performing in front of big crowds. And that's uh, once the people see them, then it's a lot to fall in. Well, so, yeah. And, you know, you talk yeah. about big crowds. It, it doesn't get bigger than the Von Erics in Dallas. Of course, your sons are getting to go with MLW here to Dallas in September, you know, what are your, what are your expectations for that night? I mean, is there any chance maybe we see you in their corner or something like that when the time comes? I'm kind of playing it by ear. We've got three months to the show, so we'll see, but I'm sure it'll go great. I'm going to, I think I'll be in their corner and uh, somebody said something about a manager. I'm not a manager, but <laughs> I'll be in the corner and I'll just, uh, I'll just deal with what comes up, you know, but uh, I don't plan on getting involved, but, uh, but you know, it's, uh, I'm planning to watch them now and they'll, and I, every time I watch them, I just love it, man. I'm, they do something different every time, and they remind me so much of my brothers and myself, even my dad. The way Marshall is reminds me of my dad when he was such a, I'm just uh, tearing the bars down. You remember my dad, and you know, maybe you don't, Nick, but uh, my dad was probably one of the uh, the best ever. I remember he was the, the world champ. Uh, he beat Nick Kanis- Gene Kaniski, and uh, and uh, those were days of man. Those were the, those were the days of wrestling. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. 80s were great days too, and and all. But uh, you should see my dad wrestle. He was something. It really reminds me of Marshall. It's it's amazing because you know you talk about the current state, you, do, you know, the current state of pro wrestling. You talk about the, these generations before, and it is like so many generational athletes right now picking up the torch, helping to bring this next generation in here. Yeah, and one of them. Uh, a big, well, there sure are. And one big one right now is uh, the son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Cody Rhodes. Uh, you know, picking up that torch for his family, starting a whole promotion here with AEW. Uh, what do you think about the work that Cody's doing right now to, to help bring some competition here to the pro wrestling landscape? I love that kid. I love his family. And that kid is a solid, good businessman. I expect great things from him. And somebody like him is strong, and we're going to have uh, a new day in wrestling. I'm telling you, it's just, it's like a, t- I can hear this bomb ticking right now. It's going to go off. A great, a great day is coming. I'm just, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. You know, and take me back here a little bit. You know, I don't know that you and Dusty shared a lot of time in the ring, but what was your relationship like with him? I mean, did you guys have any, did you have any favorite memories of the man that was? With who? Dusty, with Dusty, you mean? Yeah, Dusty is dead. Oh, yeah, sure. Dusty, he's a, everybody, everybody loves Dusty. He's hard. He's kind of impossible not to like. You know, we didn't wrestle very, uh, each other very often, but we yeah. were, you know, because we were both, yeah, you know, uh, both good guys kind of but we uh you know we're tags and we go to japan a lot you know russ doesn't actually each other real well but they're all family you know and so we all know each other pretty much yeah it's just uh yeah it was a good family and uh and that's what got me about mlw one thing i really was excited all the second generation of wrestlers these are guys that that their heart is is follow it their heart is after wrestling they i wanted to be just like my dad you know my brothers did too i know that's natural that is in a young man to want to be like his father and i see all these young guys i know exactly how they feel my sons are i was that way my sons are that way and it's just you just see something about second generation wrestlers just to have a little something extra they bring to the table and it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch and there's a lot of second generation guys in, out there today. You brought up a funny Actually. word there. You said heart. A lot of guys with heart. Hearts, heart foundation back yeah. in MLW as well. I know that the hearts and the Von Erics 
your families have a lot of crossover, a lot of history together. Uh, what do you think of the, the oh, new yeah. Hart Foundation? And, you know, what do you think of the idea of restarting that rivalry, I guess, in MLW? Well, I'll tell you this. If, 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 it's, if you're talking about the Hearts, then it's going to uh, – Brett, Owen, uh, Nelson, um, Stu Hart, that, that family. If you're talking about – they're going to give 100% whatever on the ring and they're going to give all they've got, all they have. And to beat them, you better bring your A game. And so that's exactly what I'm looking for for the boys. Talent, uh, talent like that where they will have to give all they've got. I'm telling you, Nick, there's no better feeling than to wake up in the morning – sore hurting like you like you were in a football game but uh, even like 10 times worse than a football game it's a great feeling to be all beat up and know you gave it all you had and won that match the only way you can have that is to do it i mean it's my it's hard to put put words to to tell you but what a feeling of accomplishment when you work hard to accomplish a goal you beat that man and you are the champ it's a great feeling and that's i guess that's what we do it for that's what my boys are, are there, and you and you bring the hearts to the ring. That's what they're that's what they're all about too. And so it's going to be all in when you're with one of them, or with the roads, the hearts, the any of us. It's they they. That's the most important thing in the world to them, and you'll see it when they're in the ring. What do you uh, What do you think of the work of, of Davy Boy Smith Jr. in particular, Harry Smith, in the in the following in the footsteps of his dad, the British Bulldog? Uh, another good. Now he was a great athlete. Davy Boy was. He was something. Not too bad to see these enlightening kids. Uh, they're such good athletes, and and I see their sons come. I can't wait to watch them. I don't know a lot of, a lot about them, so I haven't been able to watch. But I, but I, when when I, you know, I want to watch the whole thing. I want to be able to sit down and watch because I remember their dads, how they moved, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, and I want to see how they uh, beat that or or worked with it, what they've done about it. You know, and it's uh, it's so much fun. I love to be a, a fan now. I'm not a wrestler anymore. I'm a fan. I guess because of my sons, but. Yeah, it's a great it's a great time to be a fan. Yeah, well, you know, you're a fan, but uh, you know, you've you've got a mind for the business. You know, Kevin, you're Kevin Von Erich. You know, guys like Dusty, they found their they found their way backstage in WWE. You know, I hear about Cornette being backstage with MLW. I mean, have you had any talks with with MLW or anyone about possibly moving into a a trainer, producer, agent role, something like that for a promotion? Well, I'll, it, whatever comes up, I'll deal with as it does, but. I just want to give them my best. All those young guys out there, good luck to you. You know, stay hard, stay, you know, all in like you are, and and keep God with you. Remember, there's no, there's nothing that you, you can train all you can. You can fight. You can give it all you've got. There's always that little something extra that that comes so important in those final minutes of the match. That's good to have prayer in your life. You know that you can do something that do it. It's something that's impossible. Well, that's when you need God, and so. There too. It's just a good feeling to be an athlete, to get the best, and need and need God. Need to. I mean, when you're, this is kind of hard to tell somebody that's not a wrestler, I suppose. But when you want to give it all you've got, you know, it comes. You've got to train right. You've got to eat right. You've got to sleep right. I mean, it's a it's a 24 hour a day job. You know, it's a, a commitment, a devotion. But it's a, it, it all pays off in the ring. It's a hard life, but it it pays off when you when you have that strap. You know, and when you you look at the little kids' faces and you see all the fans freaking out. It's a, it's a good feeling to know that you, you did it. You know. Now, uh, I'll switch gears here a little bit. What do you think of Vince McMahon and his vision for professional wrestling? Uh, I want you to enlighten me to that. What, is, what, 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 what do you mean? What is his, his vision? No, I, I mean, like the way his presentation style of WWE, the way he runs his business, you know, the, the overall feel 
of the WWE. I mean, what what do you think of the way Vince runs his company? I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really say. I can only say that there. Uh, I don't really watch a lot of TV. I have to say, I don't. Uh, um, I guess I just. Uh, how much rice can a Chinaman eat? I guess I'd say I'm not a real TV watcher, but I do. Um, so I can't really comment on that. I just want my my sons. If my sons are involved, I'm watching that. But I, I and I will watch people that they're going to be in the ring with, or somebody that's like their talent or whatever. But. Um, I can't really comment on Vince, except I know they're, you know, they're out there hitting it too. And, uh, they got good, solid men, good athletes and, uh, and, uh, God bless all of them. I wish the best luck to all of them. What was it like for you living through the period where Vince was going around and, and buying up territories and, and launching WrestleMania? Oh, it was just like you said, like another change, a transition, the business going from this to that because Vince did that. So many guys were able to, to live so much better than for Nick. Remember, we're professional wrestlers. I, I to this day, I don't have insurance. I've never been able to have insurance except when I wrestled for WWE or worked for WWE for five years. It's just all the injuries, all the you know, it's too big a risk, you know. And uh, it's funny to hear these people talking about in politics about free health care. You ask a wrestler, none of us have health care, <laughs> but. But anyway, I don't go to go down that street. But anyway, well, I mean, we, it's just how it is. Well, the I, injuries, you know. You, well, I mean, do you think that the press, pro wrestlers, you know, especially working for a big company like WWE, do you think that they should have health insurance? Do you think they should be treated like employees? Of course they should. Of course they should, and they do. They do treat them like that. It's that's what I'm saying. A, a big company can do that, but these independent guys, they're just taking their life in their hands out there, you know, just like they have to do it, just how it is. But it's because there's, you know, that's, they're forced. It would be great though, if there was retirement and uh, compensation for them when, when they were injured, because they're going to get hurt. I mean, no doubt about that. Part of wrestling is dealing with injuries. That's part of it, but it would be better if there was such a thing as layoffs like you're supposed to. And in, in football, when you're injured, you lay off. But in wrestling, unfortunately, you have to make yourself do it. And sometimes that you have to get extreme. You have to lift when you can't and things like that. But, you know, it's tough. Yeah. So if it would be great if there, if there was, if there was, you know, some kind of consideration, compensation for guys that were like that. And I'm glad Vince does that, the WWE does that. So okay. good for them. Now, now, real quickly, just to slow down, too, you said something else that I thought was interesting. So, when, so did your health insurance from WWE come from when you became a Hall of Famer? Was that included as part of your induction no no it was just working for wib you're insured you have their you're under their policy you know it just uh, that's what i meant didn't have anything to do with hall of fame oh okay cool just just wondering just to ask you questions here um now uh i, I did a little research here to you uh, on you as well going into this more about your career um and i got to find out a lot about the feud with devon erics and the freebirds which i thought was really interesting um, you know, you guys, you, you, you had this match here with Ric Flair in the cage with Michael Hayes as this guest referee that really kind of blew up into the feud, the feud with the Freebirds. I just didn't know if you wanted to take me back real quick and talk a little bit about that, that cage match here that jump-started everything and just what it was like to work with the Freebirds there at the height of that popularity there in the 80s. Well, uh, Nick, I'll tell you, it was, the, it, it was, you know, it was, they were great athletes, good good competition and all that but i don't want to take anything away from guys like you know i must say chris adams and uh gina hernandez you know what we go to israel and just lit the country on fire over there and they've never heard of the Freebirds. yeah you know we go to japan with this uh, kabuki and dragon and it's you know sellouts in the stadium there too it's uh, not sellouts but i mean great houses great uh 
response, and I don't want to take anything away from these people. I'm here. I, I work with my member Ox Baker and uh, Big John Studd and uh, Bruiser Brody and uh, and some good, you know, good men in the early days of world class. I remember Michael Hayes made a comment, and he jokes around a lot. And I know he he could not have been serious here, but he said back in those days, no one went to Texas to further their career, and then nothing could be further from the truth. Texas was the hottest place it always was and, and when uh the freebirds came to texas texas was on fire when they got there so uh and it just kept on but it was like uh texas has always been a real strong wrestling market you know it's just uh probably some of the good work my dad put in all those years just been taken care of but it's just good athletes in texas guys that are just rough rough country boys that like to get out there and go after it and that west texas state you know turned out all those good pros and uh and uh there's a you know, Texas is a, just a, a rough place. It's made for pro wrestling, and it's just uh, Australia kind of too. You know, it's uh, but there's you know tough folk, tough people all over Texas, all over America. So uh, you know, I you know put one folk place over. I just grew up in Texas, so I know about that one. Sure, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a new world. But if I were to say, you know, the Freebirds, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to take away from Chris and Gino because they were. So good. I don't think I think Gino Hernandez can't be was will never be matched. The kind of heel he was, he was one of the best. And Chris Adams, uh, you know, I like to I like, when I get in the ring. I, people know me, Nick. I like to be solid. I like to be uh, if, if I like to get in there and do it. And if if it's if it's not that way, then uh, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to give it all I got. And uh, and I want my opponent to do the same thing. Well, that's what I admire about Chris Adams. Ne- never complained. He just fought me back. And that's when you do that. It's great TV, and it's it's just the way to do it. It's the new it's the new way for the, the business. I guarantee you, this is where the business is headed into a, that day that we're looking for, Nick. It's going to be great. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, and you brought up Gino Hernandez. Uh, you know, obviously, you had your your episode of Dark Side of the Ring, but there was the Gino Hernando ep- episode as well. I mean, what did you did you get a chance to check that out? And what did you think of the revelation that was kind of made in there about? you know, how he, he could have passed and the fact that there may not be an interference, you know, from the, the mob or whatever it sounded like. Yeah, I know. I don't know, Nick. It was like, that was such a strange thing. See, I was in Japan when that happened. And like, you know, something they say telephone, telegraph, telewrestler. Tele-wrestler yeah. I mean, we know. I was coming out of the hotel in Japan. This is like just hours after it happened, I guess. And they told me about it. And it was just hit me like a ton of bricks. I never would have thought that. But, you know, uh, all that other stuff about the uh, the mafia and all. No, I didn't know any. I, I knew that he was uh, uh, betting on football games, and those were really uh, those were kind of mafia guys that did all that. But that's about all I knew about it. I didn't know, you know, what Gino was into. We were all traveling so much. We, our our business was so hot back then. All our guys were on the road, you know. And so I I wasn't in town when all that was going on. I was in Mexico and Japan. Uh, pre, I mean, I, was, I did uh, two tours of Japan just that month. And a two and a five, uh, 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 I did a two week and a five week tour, and uh, was barely home. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, it was just terrible. I didn't really gain anything from the, uh, you know, from the vice. The, all the stuff that I'd heard was that's all. All was all new to me, Nick. I really can't say on that. I, no. I, I, I would just say that those guys are dangerous, and uh, and you know, I don't know what all they did, and I can't really comment, but. Uh, 
it, it was really enlightening. I think those things, that, those dark side of the ring things they did were some of those enlightening pieces I've ever seen done. Yeah, well, talk to me a little bit about your episode. I mean, I'm not kidding. I was on the edge of my seat for an hour straight watching The Last of the Von Erichs. You know, it, it, I feel like I was uh, being taken to school, you know, a lot of ways. I was at pro wrestling school learning so much about the business. You know, how did you feel that episode in particular, your episode about your family? How do you, how do you feel that came out? Oh, I think it was, uh, I'm just hoping that it can, that it helped somebody. Yeah, I think it, 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 it came out well. You know, I want people to know that my, it, it would be easy to think that my father was a big, mean, tough guy that forced his kids to wrestle, and that wasn't the case. My dad was a good, honorable, good man. And uh, there were things that were that would make people think otherwise, but the truth is he had cancer at the time and brain cancer. And so I give him a pass. And my mother, she lost those sons. And how can you blame her for her behavior? Those two just suffered, and death just uh, took them down. I don't have anything that I could uh, – only good words for them. And they suffered so much, and my mother just uh, – she kind of lost it, you know, and my, my poor dad just, uh, you know, just held for both of them. But, you know, it's over now. And uh, if I can, if somebody else can benefit from it and realize that don't commit suicide, there is never a reason to commit suicide. There is such a thing as a devil and he wants you dead. And so don't listen to that crap. You keep your mind in a good, clean, strong place where you know you it should be. And don't entertain those stupid thoughts. Suicide is ridiculous. You should never think like that. There's just that's just giving your life to giving your that your whole life to the devil. Why? Why? Don't be a loser. Be a winner. Fight. When you if you get take, give the easy way, then you'll get losers pay. You fight for it, you get winners pay. That's about as easy as I can put it, Nick. Uh, that's so well said, uh, Kevin. Very, very well said. Uh, and you know, uh, one of the other episodes. You know, I thought it was so interesting, especially with this series, the six episodes they did. How all the stories I felt did intertwine a bit in a way. I know that you were also very close with Bruiser Brody. I mean, how do you think they did uh, telling the story of what happened there uh, in his in his final moments? I guess. Well, yeah. Uh, now that is something there. When I watched the, that with Brody, uh, I knew I've talked to Tony Atlas, and he told me, you know, told me what went on down there. I was really upset about that i didn't know that uh i didn't know he was working to abdullah and uh, to hear abdullah talk like that i was i was uh um i didn't like that uh uh-uh. but um you know i don't have anything bad to say about abdullah but know that uh brody was a was a good man he would unfortunately boozer brody was a top guy that would really lay into a a smaller guy and a lot of us won't do that you know somebody's smaller than us or even if he's got a big mouth on him you know what's going to happen if you hit him and so you don't well a lot of guys don't think like they went that my buddy frank was one of them uh he would smash anybody or <laughs> any time but you know he's bruiser brody you should have known that before you got in the ring with him so <laughs> but uh god bless barbara and all them and his son so uh i just hope they're doing great what a good man brody was Wonderful. And, you know, uh, I, I, you know, another controversial character I wanted to ask you about coming out of this was the last episode, Fabulous Moolah. I mean, I don't know how well you knew Moolah or if you had any opinions on her, you know, one way or another. There seems to be a camp of people that think she was like this horrible person. Another camp of people that seem to think she gives she gave quite a bit to the business. That's right. I would be one of those people. Now, I don't know a lot of that because kind of in my dad's day, but from my dad being president of the NWA all those years and me seeing what I saw from the girl wrestlers, yes, Moolah gave so much to the business. She took care of those girls. She, she, they lived in her house even. It was like a, 
I'd hate to think I wouldn't say anything bad about Mueller. I hate to think anybody would because she did, uh, in my opinion, do a whole lot for business. As far as this behind the scenes kind of stuff, I don't know anything about gossip except it's hardly ever any good. And so uh, I'm not going to comment on anything bad. I don't know anything bad about Mueller. Only going to say that she, I have a lot of respect for from what I know about her. All right. Uh... Well, lastly here, I, I did want to ask you, you know, I brought it up earlier when we connected. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring him up. Uh, we have a mutual friend in Bill Apter. I love Bill. Uh, I know you're very close. I, I know you're very close with Bill. He's been a mentor to me. Uh, I didn't know if you had any faith. He, he talks. Kevin, I'm not going to lie. He talks a lot about you and your family. He talks about being ringside in Dallas, taking all the photos of some of the biggest moments in all of Von Eric history. I didn't know if you had any memories or stories or anything about Bill that, that you'd like to share here on the show. Well, I'd like, I believe, I believe you, I believe he does talk because Bill <laughs> has been everywhere with us. Bill has done everything with us and Bill knows us real well. Bill is a real family friend. And uh, he started out with, as a little kid in the, those wrestling magazines. And we were little kids too, but wrestlers. And, and with George and Paul Tonner too, we're all kids. And Jimmy Suzuki over in Japan, what a great time we had. Did some really good articles together for people. It was fun for all of us too. <laughs> I like George. I like uh, uh, uh <laughs> I get it. Bill after too. I <laughs> could be listening. Yeah, Bill after is my. He's everybody likes Bill. How could you not? <laughs> oh. Have you ever been out to karaoke with Bill? Has he ever sang songs for you? No, thank goodness. Oh. I'm going to avoid that one. No, <laughs> I don't want him singing songs to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Not the worst night out on the town is Bill crooning to you. Um, well, Kevin, I mean, Kevin, you've been, you've been wonderful to chat with you. I took a little bit more time of yours than I expected here, but man, just so awesome to hear your thoughts on, on everything right now. And, uh, especially about your sons here, Ross and Marshall. I didn't know if you wanted to wrap us up and talk a little bit about, you know, what's next for you. What's next for Ross? What's Mar- next for Marshall and where you see the Von Eric legacy going from here? Oh, Nick, I don't, don't worry about it. I love, I love the business. I, and since the boys, my sons have come along, it's really, I knew kind of a new excitement about it too and so call me anytime i'll be glad to talk to you about wrestling i love to i'm and, and so uh, you're not bothering me a bit i had a great time today and uh, i'm going to come to dallas i think and watch my sons I, i'm not for sure if I'm, I'm going to but i want to come to dallas nice. i'm hoping that maybe i can work that out and, you know i have a terrible time flying you know and so but i have a friend that's got a learjet and he wants me to come to see him and uh, i just might do that he's got a He's got a way I can lay down on that plane, and if I can do that, then I'm going to do it. <laughs> I got a really bad back anyway, but <laughs> but, Nick, but Nick, it was a lot of fun, man, and and good luck to you. I hope you have a great story, a good article, and uh, and call me anytime. My guest at this time is a former WWE World Champion and General Manager. He can now be seen on demand in the movie Chasing Molly. It's Kurt Angle. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, thanks for having me on. My well, so I started my day watching Chasing Molly, this movie that you're in. And, uh, you know, no spoilers here, but you play like a murderous bad guy in this movie called Mr. Black. How did you uh, How did you get cast as Mr. Black? I don't know, man. I, I, it's so funny. that My agency got a call from uh, Shelly Pack, who also stars in uh, Chasing Molly. I believe she wrote this movie, and uh, it's, it's a comedy uh, about a couple of con artists uh, that uh, rip off a, a drug kingpin and um, they realize they are, they're in way over their heads and they're uh, basically fighting to uh, get the drugs back and uh, save their own lives. So it's, um, it is uh, a bit raunchy. I wouldn't have kids watch it, but uh, 
it's funny, uh, a lot of swear words in it, and uh, it's very entertaining. And you know, you say this 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 drug kingpin. You are the drug kingpin here, right? And uh, yeah. like you said, this is really raunchy. You, in particular, you say some things that I would never have thought I would ever get to hear Kurt Angle say on camera. Uh, how was it for you getting to do that? Uh, it wasn't that hard. I just, you know, she told me, you know, if, if you're going to be a drug dealer, you got to act and talk like a drug dealer. So get this verbiage down and, and say it with intent and make everyone believe you're a drug dealer. So I am, I with my little make believe world in my head, I decided I was going to pretend to be a drug dealer. And, uh, I think I was able to, uh, I think I was able to come across that way. I, you know, Kurt, I'm not going to lie. I really genuinely thought you were the best part of this movie. The movie's not, not bad. You're you're very good, though. Um, and you seem like you enjoyed playing this bad guy. It, it also seemed like the movie yeah. was very improvisational. Was was that, was that how it felt on set? Were you given a lot of freedom with this character? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. that's why it's kind of, uh, it's really crazy to me how it really blended together because we were all, you know, saying our own things and doing uh, doing it our own way. And, and, uh, it was more of a, you know, a free set. Uh, but, but we, we were all told that you have to get these certain points across and we were able to do that because we did that. The movie told a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did that, do you think your pro wrestling background helped you in that improv setting? Cause I, the way you just described that sounds like how you would do a, a promo on raw or something like that. Yeah. Well, the, the, the huge difference is, you know, uh, movies, you 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 get more than one take. You can you get fifty takes if you want. Uh, I'm so accustomed to get, having to do it my first time. So uh, when I was on the set, I did a lot of takes my first time. Uh, they might have wanted to do it over again, uh, just for safety, or or somebody else in the room didn't do say what they were supposed to say. Uh, but as far as me, I. I they pretty much nailed most of them on my first take. And that, that, that's a tribute to the wrestling business. That's, you know, we're taught to do that. You have one, you have one chance and, uh, if you don't do it, you know, you're uh sink or swim, you know? And, uh, if you can't uh, swim, you're going to sink and drown. So you get one shot to do it and it better be good. Yeah. Well, this was a very, it was a fun ensemble. I could tell there was a lot of improvisers, comedians in here. Uh, a face that immediately yeah. popped out to me was Jim Cashman, who's one of the leads. A lot of people probably know him as Flo's sidekick from the progressive commercials. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what? When I, I saw him, I said, wait a minute, you're the progressive guy. He started laughing. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it was him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, he, he's a, he's a good little actor, man. I uh, uh, you know I know he has some good history with different uh, TV shows and movies, but uh, I thought he did a great job with this movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, very cool. And you know, did you know being around these guys doing all their improv stuff? Do you ever get the itch? Do you want to jump up on a comedy stage, try improv, stand up, that kind of stuff out? Hell no! <laughs> I want you to know this. Every funny thing I did in WWE fifteen twenty years ago. I didn't write any of it. <laughs> Our writer wrote all that stuff. Uh, so I didn't come up with the content. I just did what I was told to do. <laughs> huh. And uh, I got to do some crazy, funny stuff back then. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, you know, your career, obviously, you just said farewell uh, at WrestleMania. Do you plan on just straight pursuing acting? Or, I mean, do you consider your farewell a retirement 
from pro wrestling, I guess is my question. Uh, no, it's not a retirement. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever retire uh, where I'm just sitting down, not doing anything. Uh, I got to be doing something, uh, something constructive. So um, right now I'm going to be, you know, producing the wrestlers in WWE and, um, you know, doing some movies like this and, um, you know, uh, uh, I also have, I own a supplement business called Barn Dad Nutrition. So I put a lot of time into that as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to hear you say you don't consider yourself retired. So this farewell match was maybe a farewell for a little while here, maybe while you rest up. I mean, do you, do you see yourself having another match in a WWE ring, I guess? Um, no, but you know, it seems like, you know, they always come back. Um, you know, I, I've seen, uh, seen Shawn Michaels come back. I've seen, uh, uh, Rick Flair come back. Um, I don't plan on coming back, but I mean, if Vince McMahon really needs me, yeah, um, I would do it in a second for him. Um, you know, he's he's a uh, he's a great guy, and he's done a lot for me. And uh, if he ever needs me for something like that, he knows he has me. So, um, do I think he'll call on me? Probably not. And uh, you know, I, I think Vince is more proud of me not not as a wrestler but as a person who overcame his demons and uh has stayed straight for this long so he um he looks at me you know he doesn't want to be the one that uh ends up having me uh relapse because he wanted me to use me for a match and i got hurt you know and i ended up taking painkillers whatever it is i think that vince looks at me as a success story but I think he also looks at me as, um, um, you know, what would you call it? Uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're a success, an inspiration. Uh, you're a guiding light. I don't know. I'm not sure to... uh, <laughs> the complete opposite. Oh, okay. I'm a liability. Oh, okay. I'm a liability. Got it. Okay. Um, you, you have to look at it from that perspective. I mean, uh, when I was in WWE last time, I got injured so many times, uh, still working full-time, pounding the painkillers, and just I was out of control. And, uh, you know, Vince couldn't control me. And, you know, and I, I just got tired of uh, everything, and I just told Vince I want to leave. And uh, he didn't want to let me go. He wanted me to go to rehab and, yeah. and stay with the company. But uh, I said, no, I'm gone, Vince. I don't want to be here. And I went to TNA, and uh, the painkiller issue didn't get any better. So when I finally got clean, it took Vince three years to even look my way. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and when he did, I said, this is great, Vince. Let's do this, man. Let's make some money. Uh, I'll have a championship run. He said, uh, no, we're going to induct you in the Hall of Fame. I said, well, I'm not retired. <laughs> he said, that's all right. We want to induct you in the Hall of Fame first. And then uh, I said, okay, great. Then, you know, then, then I'll wrestle. And he's like, well, no, we're going to have you do the GM role um, uh, right after WrestleMania. You'll be the general manager of Raw. I'm like, shit, well, when am I going to wrestle? <laughs> I'll call on you. <laughs> yeah. So you understand what he did? He, he, he brought me in, but he brought me back, and he had me settle in, not do anything uh, physical, and, uh, and he, he continued to drug test me to make sure I was – uh, staying clean. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, 
by him doing that, eventually he had me wrestle. But by the time I wrestled, uh, my body was uh, arthritic. Um, it was, uh, I, I don't know if you understand this, but uh, when you're in pro wrestling and you take a year off, uh, you're inactive. Um, you're, you're, uh, it makes it that much harder to come back, especially at the age of 50. So if you're active and you're wrestling every night or five nights a week and you're taking bumps, that, that breaks up the scar tissue. You feel a lot better. But when you're just sitting around for nine to 12 months and they call on you to wrestle, it's not going to be the same Kurt Angle that everybody knows. So when I finally started wrestling, it was too late for me. And uh, I don't blame Vince for that um, because I know what he was trying to do. Yeah. He was trying to make sure I was okay the whole way. So he was really careful with me. I think, and that, that's a credit to him and the company. But for me, it was like, damn, man, I could have had, you know, a championship run. I could have wrestled Rollins and, and uh, AJ Styles and uh, Roman Reigns and had some great matches. But, you know, he did the opposite. What, what I thought he was going to do is have me wrestle, then do the GM, and then induct me to the Hall of Fame. He did the complete opposite. <laughs> Hall of Fame first, GM second, wrestle third. Yeah. And by the time I started wrestling, I was like, Vince, I can't do this anymore. I actually, I actually uh, called him two months before Mania. I said, "Listen, I can't do this anymore. We gotta, we gotta figure out a way to, uh, you know, have me retire at Mania." He said, "Not a problem, but you're gonna, you know, you're." And this is why people were upset about me wrestling Baron Corbin. Of course, they wanted, you know, uh, a big, a bigger name uh, to wrestle me. But you have to remember, myself and Baron had a story going for a whole year. Yeah. And and Vince wasn't expecting me to retire at WrestleMania. So my WrestleMania opponent was going to be Baron. But when I talked to Vince two months before Mania, I told him, listen, this is going to be my last match at Mania. Let's find someone else. He said, no. No, I'm, this story cost me a lot of money. And we've been, we've been playing this out for the past year. You're going to wrestle Baron. Oh, man. And I said, you know what? You're right. Fair enough. So I don't think a lot of fans understand why, but Vince made the right move. Now, it was my fault if I wanted to retire uh, wrestling someone like John Cena or, or uh, Seth Rollins or whoever, AJ Styles, then I should have waited a year. You, you understand? No, I, I get it. I get it. And so yeah. Baron yeah. here and the next year, that's my retirement. Well, but we, we yeah. had to, we had to speed it up. Yeah. Well, you said farewell. You know, uh, like you said, yeah, you said at the top it wasn't quite a retirement. Sounds like now you might. I don't know. I'm a little. I don't know. Maybe intentionally. Oh, well, I'm not. Re- I, what I meant by not retired is I'm gonna keep working. Oh, not wrestling. Not, not wrestling, but working. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will never retire, <laughs> but I, I'm retired from wrestling. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's what I was trying to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question here, Kurt. I know that you're very busy. Uh, obviously, there was a, there was big news in the world of pro wrestling this morning. You know, AEW announced this deal with TNT. I mean, what kind of an impact do you think that has on the landscape of pro wrestling? I think it's good. Uh, you know, I, I I understand. I want the fans to be excited about it. I I I I I am going to tell you this though, and and I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to come around five years from now and say I told you so. Listen, WWE is the number one brand. It will always be number one. 
It is so big right now. It's so global. There's no way in heck anybody's going to catch up to them. And if this company, I'm not daring them. I'm just saying, listen, it's not bad to be number two. It's not bad to be number two. If you're going to set out to be number one, then you're going to spend a lot of effing money. Okay, I remember when TNA tried to do uh, the Monday Night Wars with uh, with WWE, and uh, then we started touring in cities every two weeks, just like they did with the trucks and you know the live feeds and all that bullshit. They lost a lot of money, and uh, they also were not filling the arenas. So what I'm saying is, I think AEW can be a good addition to wrestling. I believe it could be a great number two company. But if they want to be number one, be prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Because if you're going to catch up to WWE, you're going to have to do that. Whew. It is a fun time for pro wrestling right now. Kurt, I could not have enjoyed it. It is fun. And you know what? That's my opinion. But I'm telling you, uh, I've seen it before with WCW. I've seen it before with TNA. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to they'll get any bigger than WWE. So... I, I I I welcome AEW to do whatever they want to do to become number one, but I'm just telling you right now, this is how it's going to happen, and this is what, what it's going to be. They're going to have a great run. I really believe that. Yeah. But, you know, WWE is number one, always will be. All right. Well, uh, Kurt, I could not have uh, enjoyed this conversation more. It really walked me through what it's like to be in your shoes for the past year or so in WWE. Uh, and again, if people want to find you, go on demand right now. The movie is Chasing Molly. Kurt Angle plays Mr. Black. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, if nothing else, it's crazy to get to watch uh, Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle uh, being a little raunchy and just straight murdering people. Kurt, you caught me so off guard at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, right out of the I gate. Know, man. <laughs> Boom. Right I don't up. know who I was that day. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, is there anything else you want to leave everybody with here before we wrap up the interview? No, no. Make sure you follow me at Real Kurt Angle on Twitter and uh, Facebook. My guest at this time is a WWE Hall of Famer, former WCW superstar, NWO original. He's going to reunite with Kevin Nash this Sunday when Capital Wrestling makes its Nashville debut. It is the bad guy, Scott Hall. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Hey, yo. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, man. No problem. Well, this is a pretty cool event that you're we're doing here with Capital Wrestling, reuniting with Kev in Nashville uh, for a good cause with Wrestling for Innocence. Uh, you all helped to get Adam Brasile uh, freed from prison on uh, wrongful murder <laughs> charges. <laughs> I was just talking to Kev the other day. You know, he just came back from Columbia where he was getting some medical treatment, and he uh, we were thinking like. You know, like me and Kev always had this attitude when we left the WWE back in the day to start that whole NWO thing. I mean, we hoped it worked, but we didn't know it was going to change the world. It did. And we're going, oh my gosh. <laughs> we just do a, a 15 second promo in the airport lounge. And, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people have been working hard for a long time to make this thing happen. And he's been sitting in jail for a long time. But it just feels cool, like timing is everything. And me and Kev, we're at the right place at the right time again. And we're going to bring that same energy and enthusiasm to Nashville. Dude, that's that's crazy. You're going to get to meet Adam. He's actually going to attend the show. You know, for you, Scott. Right. How cool is that? How cool is that, right? Dude, you know? that's, it's like. I mean. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say, it's like you guys got Adam out here. It looks like Sean Waltman got to go visit Brandon Dassey or whatever for making a murder. Or you guys are just helping people out and get out of prison left and right, you know? Yeah, we're like, I think we're going to team up with Kim Kardashian and, and do some work together. <laughs> well, you know, Scott, you are... Prison like, reform. <laughs> you know, I would watch that, Scott. I would watch you, Kev, Sean, and, and Kim Kardashian free people for prison. Um, you right. you were in the uh, the Jake Roberts documentary. It was a real redemption story. Does it mean more for you knowing what you've been through? I mean, you sound so clear-headed right now to be able to help people like this in your point in your career. Well, I think I always... Um, I think even when I was hammered all the time, I wouldn't want to see somebody in prison, you know, wrongfully convicted. So, I mean... I don't know if I understand your question, but yeah, more clear headed these days. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess it's just the idea that this is a redemption story and like a it's lot of way people... easier. You know, I, I said this the other day, like when I was talking to Pac, I, my doctor told me like, I have a confirmed allergy to alcohol. Like every time I drink, I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, that's a dark joke there. I picked it up at the end. Well, you, you and Sean did get to go down to the performance center recently and spend some time together. What was it like for you to get to work down in the performance center and give back like that? I've been there. This is about my third or fourth time down there and I love it. And I asked uh, triple H, uh, to let me work with the bigger guys. Cause they've got some whoppers down there and, I'm thinking it's just a different style than, you know, to teach a big guy how to work is different than teaching a little high flyer guy how to work. And uh, I think I had that skill and I want to pass it on. And I had so much fun down there. Like I got so excited watching a kid that I helped, you know, uh, train, watching him debut that I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. So it's, it's kind of cool. You still get that performer, but it's uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's cut. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as potent, but it still works for me. You know, I've I, this is unfortunately the first time I've ever gotten to chat with you, Scott, but from everybody in your orbit that I've ever talked to, all they talk about is your mind for the business. You know, do you see yourself as somebody more uh, regularly? Apparently, that's... I'm really smart. I mean, <laughs> rumor has it I'm really good about wrestling. Yeah. I find that I do... I, I do come alive when I'm in that environment and I've been to the performance center several times and they had me sit in with uh, HBK's class last time. Those are the top NXT performers. Right. And these are all guys who've been around a while. You know, they've had long indie careers coming in and all that and God bless them. And they're talented guys. I don't really want to sit in on that class. I mean, I'm going to give them whatever feedback I can, but I like catching them right when they come in the door. You know, mm -hmm. and and just get I like getting in the young guys' ears and stuff. Like I like being at the curtain right when they come through the, right after the match. You catch me, okay? Come here for a second. Say, what were you thinking then? And they go, well, I was thinking this. Okay, well, this is because this is how it looked. And now they film everything, so it's so cool. You go to the the next day, you can be sitting in a classroom with those guys and you know, the rest of the guys in the locker room and watching the guys' matches and pointing stuff out to the whole group. It's such an advantage, and it's so... It's, and the feeling I get when, you know, when you see the light bulb flicker over some guy's head, like he's just starting to get the idea, that's a connection that you make that never goes away. Like, 
I have done business for a long time in professional wrestling, and I wasn't always considered a very popular guy. I don't care. I've got my handful of friends that I'm going to hang with. I just assume get along with everybody, but it's not show friends. It's show business. If, if you can do business with people, you can make connections with them that last sometimes longer than friendships. Like I've, I've done business with guys that I've never had dinner with, never made a road trip with. But when you see them in a wrestling environment, you can point at them across the arena. Like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, it's a different kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I've, I've, uh, I thrive on that. Well, it, it is a great time for the business right now. Uh, I, it's, it's fun. I, funny. I get to chat with you now. I was actually at the ocean center in Daytona beach, about a month ago for AEW's Fighter Fest, which is where you and Nash and- did they did they did they pack that place? It was pa- it was packed, man. I mean, it's not like you obviously know the venue. It's, it's not about, a. Gen- it's about eight thousand seats, right? Yeah, they. I mean, they had a production. No, area. but I mean, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, in Daytona, it's a tough market. It's hard to get people to sit inside because they're right at the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, no, I'm gonna be. I'm. I'm. I've been connected to Conrad and, you know, and been at the StarCast events and I'll be at the upcoming one in Chicago. Yeah. Very you know, it's a good time to be, it's a good time to be in a wrestling business. Wrestling's thriving right now. The indie scene's hot. It's hot in Japan. Mexico's thriving. It's hot in the UK. I mean, I even saw a thing online. Uh, MVP's making a, an appearance in Romania somewhere. Yeah, Romanian Championship Wrestling. I went, what the heck? So I immediately followed that that company. Yeah, I'll take a trip to Transylvania. Are you kidding me? <laughs> take, take my hot goth girlfriend and go to Transylvania. You always had those blood. You had blood dripping on your tights. I mean, I always maybe kind of got a vampire vibe anyway. I think you'd be very well. Good. At least you understood it. Some people didn't get it at first because after I left, and I have to change my whole gimmick, and I kind of liked. You know, I always liked wearing cool wrestling gear so i'm thinking man what am i going to change to because so to me what's after the races was the blood so that's why i chose that oh wow well i never knew that that's really cool yeah well that's why and the thing is too it was really hard we got really spoiled working for vents because they have professional seamstress there that whip up stuff that's incredible and we go WCW and now we're making good money and we have the worst gear in wrestling, me and Kev, because we can't find anybody. Yeah. I can't wear that razor. I got a closet full of razor stuff. I can't wear that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we even, <laughs> I think about this all the time when I go back and do shows for Vince and I see these girls still working there. Me and Kev talked to Eric and we had enough influence with Eric at that time or guests just bitching and moaning. That it was like, man, we don't have any gear. What the fuck? What the fuck? And, oops. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? And it was like, uh, Eric said, offer those girls twice what they're making. So Terry and Julie, we offered the seamstresses for Vince twice what they were making. What? And they went, no. And, and they, and literally, no, this is the truth. You can ask Kevin. And they went, and they went, no, nah, it's okay. We're going to stay here. And which ended up being the right decision. Wow. But, I didn't know yeah. that you guys tried to poach Vince's. No, well, desires. things were good. Well, you got to understand, WCW had never sold the building out before. Yeah. I mean, they were in such a funk back then, they didn't even run house shows. So they start getting things going. And, you know, it was good times for all. 
Wow. Uh, I will ask you, you know, uh, AEW is going to make their TNT debut. Uh, Chris Jericho is teasing two mystery partners. I mean, the outsiders on AEW on TNT that, you know, it does strike my interest. You know, is there any chance that that could happen? <laughs> no, no, not a chance for me at all. I'm okay. loyal to WWE. Okay. I, I'm loyal to I'm loyal to WWE, and I'm still under contract with them. Yeah. You know, I do I I do signings and appearances that are connected to it, but I'm not I'm not associated with AEW. I wish those guys luck and all that. But uh, you know, I mean they welcome me in the back and stuff. I go there as a wrestler to wrestler, but as far as any kind of professional relationship, I'm loyal to the WWE. Cool. All right. Well I know you're short on time, Scott. To me, you know, go you ahead. want my take on the whole thing? I think AEW is basically competing with NXT. Correct. NXT is booming and global, and they're gonna have they're gonna there's talks. Oh, now that they're hiring uh, now, TV wants wrestling because every network is a copycat network. So now there's people wanting more wrestling on TV. So don't think it won't be long before NXT has a show. I predict. Do you, think, you heard it first, brother? Do you think it would be a good there, idea for WWE to put NXT head to head with AEW? Is that the the bullet in the chamber for them? Well, I mean, years ago when I thought about it, and that was the same approach Vince had. You know, in interviews, he's commented, "Why would you put your show right opposite my show? The rest of the week you can choose from." That's to me. That's what I thought. Well, if I opened a, but if you look at how franchises and how big businesses work, anytime you see a McDonald's. You look around, there's usually a Burger King or a Wendy's right next door. Because then the consumer has to choose which one do you really want. So that, I mean, if you believe in your product, you put it right up against the guy. You know? Yeah. Instead of putting it at the far end of town, no, I'm coming in right next door. And we're going to compete for the money. And I, it makes everything sharper and everything better. Agreed. 100%. You know, Triple H. See, I'll throw in a brother there, and it gives it wrestling credibility. Well, Triple H is such a great vision for NXT. A lot of people clamor for him to have more control. You know, they just brought in Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff in those creative roles, and Vince is still around. Why don't you think Hunter has, or, or has he, and he just doesn't make a big deal of it, uh, take the mantle more creatively? Hey, he does. He, he handles himself. You know, I saw him when he started there, bro. And he is doing everything exactly right and still, and still family guy. You know, still family man, and he's doing everything right. I don't think, I mean, that's the problem. Although they're publicly traded, it's still basically a family-run business, too. So personal relationships get involved. I mean, how how can you disagree with Vince? What are you going to say? No, Vince, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I think he can point at his track record you know, to defend himself. He's been right more than wrong. Yeah. I've always had the feeling that there's more than one right way to do. There's more than one right answer, and more than one wrong answer to any situation. So try to turn the room. You know, the wrestling business is all done by a bunch of guys standing around a room at the last minute going, okay, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do that, you know? And then <laughs> usually whoever talks the loudest is right. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I'm really excited about what's going on now in my life and the wrestling world and my kids' lives. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really happy to be a part of this, you know, helping a wrongly, wrongly convicted guy get out of jail. And, you know, it's just a, 
it's a great time. It's going to be a celebration there in Nashville. I invite everybody to come out and say hi to the Outsiders. Agreed. Thanks for having me, brother. I got to run. Guest at this time is going to be taking on Bill Goldberg tonight at SummerSlam. Very cool. It is Dolph Ziggler. Dolph, thank you so much for taking the time. Happy to be here. People should thank me more often, though. Yeah. But I'm happy to be here and get the word out. What's What do you got going on? Anything good? Uh, me? Oh, I'm just talking to Dolph Ziggler. You know, no big deal, right? It's pretty sick. Bucket list stuff, I, I've heard. I'm trying to show off right now. You See that? You're doing a great job. Thanks, brother. Now, I had a blast watching your show here tonight. You had some friends up on stage. Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins. You guys were throwing some jabs around up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I try and have these comedy shows resemble a wrestling show as much as I can. And uh, just like a wrestling show... Things don't go as planned all the time. And that it was very much happened this evening. Well, uh, your friends referred to your match with Goldberg as a part-timer versus part-timer <laughs> match. Which is pretty funny, but clearly not true. But I get the digs. I have taken a vacation this last year, but it was only after 14 years without one. Sure. So the joke, very warranted and works. And I have quit for two weeks before. So I get when I threw a title down and walked away for two weeks and left for a couple months. But I just needed to get off television. Um, when you see me every day for 10 years straight, I got to go away for a little bit. So I needed to get out of WWE for a minute. I'm right back in it. Haven't lost a step. I don't have ring rust. I don't get out of shape. I don't not dominate every single match I'm in one way or another. So. Okay, cool. And, like, uh, you know, so does that mean that we're going to be able to see you more in WWE going forward? Is this... Uh, is the sabbatical over? Are you back here for the, the long haul again? I'm, I'm here to do anything they ask and above and beyond just like I always have. I just needed a little bit of a refresher. Uh, I'm here to do anything they want. If at some point WWE asked me to be a part-time wrestler, it would crush me. And I don't know that I could do it, but anytime I'm here, you get 100% me, which is anyone else on their best day, 80%. Uh, of me outdoes them every single time. Sure, you know, and the way you goaded Goldberg, or the way that this match with Goldberg, I should say, got set up with you taking kind of shots at him on the air, reminded me a lot of another uh, legitimate wrestler who's been calling Goldberg out recently, and that's Matt Riddle. Uh, what do you think of some of the comments that Riddle's been making about your SummerSlam opponent? I know that he's made them because people have told me, but I don't know exactly what he said. All I know exactly is that he told me, good luck, bro. Okay. And I think that's cool. And uh, but being a shooter myself and a uh, all-time winningest wrestler at Kent State when I left, I feel like once I get rid of Goldberg, I'm really kind of looking at Shawn Michaels. But, man, if anything happened there, I would try and make it happen, and I would love to see if Shawn Michaels could hang with me. And then one day I'd let the kid come up and see if he could hang with me in the ring. So good luck to him doing everything he can because it's not easy to get to the WWE roster. Now, have you talked to Shawn about that? Is he interested in taking a match and coming, I mean, out of retirement to face it? I'm not it? really friends with the Attitude Era guys. I've been in part with them. I've been in rings with them. I've been in matches with them. I've been in segments with them. I've said my case that Shawn doesn't act the way he used to act, where he used to tell him to follow that. I go, I'm the one doing that. And I got to kick him in the face. To be fair, he got me in the back last week and he kicked me in the face. So you never know how it's going to go down. I would love to see if Shawn Michaels could hang in the ring with me. If you had to ask me, I don't think he can. I think he's the greatest of all time, and I would love to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. But I come out on top. All right, well, before this was a match with you and Goldberg, it was supposed to be you and The Miz. Now, you guys are going to face off on Monday night. Yep. I, watch, I watch Miz and Miz. I watch Total Divas. Very cool. I know you guys are friends, right? Yeah. What has it been like getting to work with your friend on this level right now? It's a weird thing. We are friends, but we all, like, 
we used to be close friends. He has his outside things. Uh, he almost resembles to me being a part-time wrestling guy because he doesn't really have a lot of pay-per-view matches because he's not doing anything interesting. He's more interested in doing his reality show and movies outside of WWE, which I understand. It's just, that's not my thing. I do my comedy shows in between wrestling shows, so I don't stop. I don't take a break unless I have to. Right. So I'm a fan of Miz's work ethic. I'm just also a fan of being a full-time wrestler. All right, hey Dolph, that's it. Thank you so much for the time here today. Best of luck tomorrow night or tonight against Goldberg. Anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up? No, I mean, we got a show coming up in Lexington. It's me and Sarah Tiana. We kicked butt tonight. We had a full house here at the rec room. The shows I do, it's because I don't want to go home. So I don't miss wrestling matches to go do comedy. I live for it. I love these comedy shows. I live for everyone cheering and booing and having a good time. And I go right back to the wrestling ring without missing a step. So I'll see you guys down the road with more comedy shows coming up. Thank you. You got it, brother. Yes, cheers. Am I live on the air? No, you are not. This is a pre-tape. Oh, okay. I wouldn't do sure. that to you. I don't know. You never know what happens these days. It's true. No, I'm here to protect. I'm here to protect and help. So, <laughs> oh man, uh, uh, I I could probably use some protection, but who knows? I'll be all right. You do rankle some of the internet fans, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I was having that conversation with Brett from GCW the other day. He was like, "Man, he's like, you got all these gay fans." I was like, "No, man, I got straight fans who want to be cool with gays." <laughs> well, that's great. That's a good. That's a good lead in here. I don't typically just start, but this that was a fun line. Can we just start the interview? Is that okay? We can t we can totally start there. <laughs> All right, great. Well, let me let That's me fine. let me smarten everybody up here to what's going on. My guest at this time, the voice you just heard, one of the fastest rising stars in pro wrestling, recently went toe to toe with Nick Gage for the GCW World Championship. It's Effie. Effie, thank you very much for the time today. You're giving me flashbacks right now. I I I had to bring up the Gage match. I know. I've tried. I've tried to put it behind me. My mom was so mad when she saw pictures from that match. <laughs> And she, you know, you can't really, she can't really do anything about it, but she's like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm going, well, you know, I'm, I'm figuring that out. You're like, I'm wearing my underwear and I'm rolling around in shards of glass, mom, like an adult. Yeah, you know, of course. Like an adult, right? So. That's what we do. You know, it's a day job. Well, it was a night job. It was a 2 a.m. night job. Um, well, well, you know, let's start there then. Yeah, because that was a big buzzy thing for you just here in Chicago, two cup stuffed. Uh, why do you think the, why do you think the fans were like, so buzzy about this one. You know, Gage has a lot of title defenses, but your match in particular really seemed to grab people's attention. You know, I think for people that have watched me for a while, and I've been doing this about five years since I had my first match, they sort of know that, like, I easily can fit into that niche of being a comedy guy or being a funny guy or, you know, taking the laughs out of things. And you take a guy like Nick Gage, and he's all business. I mean, this guy is going to attempt to kill you. And so it was sort of that, idea of can this guy hang at that level can this guy uh do these sort of death match things can this guy handle uh you know someone with the backstory of a gauge who has physically died before and come back and still is trying to kill himself you know and i think the buzz behind it was sort of there's people saying okay well effie's effie's the guy who beat up children and has funny matches and he's gay and he wears pantyhose w what's going to be the challenge there and then i kind of put it all on the table and said look I said, you can make whatever assumptions you want about me. I don't care about Nick Gage. I had an employee say to me one time, he said, I've never been scared of a man. And I, I hold that true in my heart. You know, you can come try to kill me and you might, you might succeed, but I'm never going to be scared of you. 
because a man can only do so much. And, you know, I didn't win, but I, I, uh, I took it there. I went right to the, right to the edge of the, right to the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Now that's the thing is, uh, it, like, again, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, people just wanted to see a different dynamic for you. You say you wanted to show you could go there with deathmatch wrestling. Um, how does, how do you feel like that is that, it, it, do you think there's an expectation that wrestlers of this generation should do that? Do you think that that's a good thing that wrestlers feel that they need to check off their bucket list now to, to go that, that length? I really think for me, and this is, this is me exposing my business too much. For me, I want to experience all of it. So when I leave professional wrestling, when I've gone through everything, I don't want to look back and go, well, I wish I had an opportunity to do that or to, or to do something different or I didn't get to try that kind of match out. So really, I, I take everything that's thrown at me and I don't really uh, discriminate. And so, you know, deathmatch wrestling to me is as valid a type of wrestling as any other type. And I want to get that under my belt and have a, a, a chance to say, look, you know, I gave that a shot and I gave it my best. It might not have been my thing, but if you booked Effie and that's where he ended up, he would have been just fine. You know, any situation you end up booking me in, I want to be able to fill that role and also be able to look back and say, okay, well, I gave all the styles of wrestling a try. Um, you know, I had a match with Sugar Dunkerton a few weeks before that where right. it was almost exclusively British chain wrestling. And to go from a match like that to being able to switch into a whole different, you know, style of match, a whole different expectation of match is important for me personally. I think it should be important for all wrestlers, but it's important for me personally to go, okay, whatever you throw me at and whatever your expectation is for what you need out of our match as a promoter, as a fan, as another wrestler, I can meet that expectation. I can do all that stuff. Okay, so with Deathmatch Wrestling, uh, now forgive me for maybe not being too informed here, but are you have you done a lot of Deathmatch Wrestling in your career? You know, I've done a good bit of, of the no-ring Deathmatch stuff. I've done a lot of, like, as they call it, party hardcore kind of stuff. Sure. I've been known to take some cigarette burns to the chest or Gross. some, you know, table, things like that, basic <laughs> stuff. Um, I found myself this year, WrestleMania week, Within the span of a week, I had a no-ring death match with Slack. I had a no-ring death match with Casanova Valentine. And I was in the cluster fudge. Are we cursing here? Can we say that? You can say whatever you like. It's fine. All right. I was in the cluster fuck match at spring break, and Necro Butcher was in there. And I'm looking at it going, you know, in, in the span of a week, you can become a death match legend hanging out with everybody. Um, I like to no-ring death match, too, though. A lot of people say, well, that's not real wrestling. There's not a ring. There's not, you know, all this stuff. To me, putting those kind of restraints on a performance, being able to say, okay, the situation we have tonight is there is no ring, you're in this building, make it entertaining, make it fun, give the fans their money's worth, and still be able to do that safely as a performer, like those kind of constraints almost get me excited. Yeah. So I, I really like the, the deathmatch aspect of the, of the no ring scene that's kind of built up too. Well, I know we have a mutual friend, Marcus Crane. Um, mm -hmm. he, he did his Wasted Land No Ring uh, show this past Monday night, and I got roped in as the ring announcer for this thing, and it was my first time attending one of these events. And it's craziness, man. You're in a tight space. There's no ring. There's all this stuff flying around. I mean, but it was a hell of a lot of fun, especially since he paired it with, like, a couple bands. Do you think that this is something – are you getting more requests for this? Do you think this is something that's going to be more commonplace in this era here, these No Ring – deathmatch type shows there's the pros and cons of it and i mean for me as a performer the pros are the overhead is really low so i end up being able to make more as a performer at these shows but the negatives to that are i think if they're overdone a lot of guys are going to keep going back to the same things in the same spots and then where do you take it 
and I sound like an old veteran who's going, well, what's the next thing? You do the flippy thing. What's the next thing you're going to do? And I just look at it and go, okay, where's the, where's the creative limit of what we're doing here? What new aspects can we bring in? What things can we take away? How can we be storytellers within these limits by not repeating ourselves over and over? Because it's really easy to just go, okay, we'll grab a tube, grab a staple gun, we'll do that. But to make that into a cohesive storytelling experience takes a little more skill. And I hope guys use a little bit of precaution in saying, well, yeah, it's no ring. We can do whatever we want, but being able to pull themselves back a little bit and go, okay, but how can we convey a proper story here and not just do the same thing a hundred times? You know, one of the questions I, I, I ask myself is somebody sit as a fly on the wall watching you all do this insanity is, you know, little thing like how important is blood testing to you when it comes to these type matches? Is that a question that comes up? For sure. Um, for me, it probably should be more important. For my boyfriend, it is very important, and he requires that I get tested all the time. But that's that's him personally asking me to do it. I think when you look at some of the cuts, some of the things, I mean, G-Raver had a pretty serious injury recently. Yeah. In a lot of cases, uh, the blood is probably mixing. You're probably around open wounds. There's danger to it. But there's also the expectation of, like, we're also athletes. We're probably taking care of ourselves. And these cuts are very light. Like, they make a lot of blood, but don't fool yourself. You know, there's aspirin involved. Your blood is very thin and mostly it's pouring outward and not pouring inward. We're not injecting ourselves with each other's blood. So I think it can seem worse than it is. And when everything's all mixed together, it's probably not, you know, the most safe thing on the face of the earth. I take my precautions Mm -hmm. um, and I make sure I'm tested all the time, but I, I don't always know for everyone else. And I've had scares before where I actually was told by a doctor at one point, he said, Oh yeah, you've got hep C. So I went and got tested a bunch of times. I never had it. I didn't have it. They read the reports wrong. So it's hard, too, to even trust the medical system when they're giving you results, you know? Oh, my God. What a nightmare. It's insanity. Dude, what a yeah, nightmare. it adds to it. Uh, but, I mean, like, I'm yeah. a guy who wrestles in a lot of states, so I have to get blood work testing done for those anyway. So it's like between being a homosexual and being a professional wrestler who's getting licensed, I'm tested a lot. I don't know that for everybody else, you know? Yeah. Well, you talk openly, uh, you know, about being a gay wrestler, gay man, right? You know, as you've been doing this for the past five years, I know you, we can get to the Rise promo you cut here in just a little bit. But, I mean, has it been, have there been hurdles for you? I mean, has there been a lot of blowback for you in your rise to where you're at right now? It was weird because it was kind of uh, – there's there peaks and valleys to it because – you know, at first, when I wasn't as vocal about my personal life and I was still, you know, very flamboyant, very exaggerated in the wrestling world, a lot of Southern bookers were bringing me in and not thinking, oh, well, we're bringing in a homosexual. They're just thinking we're bringing in somebody with a gimmick. And I kept my mouth shut a lot. And then as I started kind of opening my mouth and seeing that people were showing up to shows who were more like me, who were more LGBT, who were more queer and weird and strange and fun. Um, I felt more of a responsibility to be vocal about these things. And that probably cost me a little bit of booking power in the South. But then you find other places that think like you and you go, well, I didn't need those places anyway, because they were going to continue putting out stuff that was uh, not in agreement with the way I believe the world should be or the way I believe wrestling should be or, you know, how I think a crowd should react. Um, So maybe, you know, it's been a blessing. You know, I might have thought it was a curse at some point. But then, I mean, as far as locker rooms go, it's been wonderful. You know, you have your problems here and there, but for the most part, what I've found, oddly enough, is most people have more more uh, ease confiding in you about maybe they feel some way about their sexuality. Maybe they've had confusing moments, and you're sort of a safe space they can come to and say, look, hey, I'm dealing with some stuff. And hopefully I've been a blessing in that way because 
you know, for a long time, there's been wrestlers who were homosexuals who never said anything about it. And it's caused problems. I mean, you got Chris Canyon who killed himself because of everything that he dealt with through his career. And he didn't have that opportunity to be an open athlete. And if we're able to help out, not only the people who are coming to the shows and the fans, but like people in the locker room be okay with themselves and not feel self-hate, then that's awesome and important. And I'd like to be that person for people. Man, that's so awesome, man. And so wait, you, so you're saying that you did cut ties and promotions. You've, you've lost bookings since you've become uh, more open. That that's actually happened to you. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also the expectation of like, well, if we're going to bring this gay guy in, better do some real gay stuff and put on a dress and wear some makeup and, you know, prance around a little more. And when they realize that like, no, I'm, I'm my own entity. I don't, I don't belong to anyone. If you don't want to use me here, that's fine. But I'm not going to go into that. They sort of shy away from using you anyway. And they go, well, we're just going to do whatever we were going to do. Yeah. But, you know, these are these are southern places. I mean, I got my start in Florida, Georgia, Alabama. So it's it's um, I think they're opening their eyes, too, now because they see that money talks and more of these fans are showing up and they want a safe environment. More of the wrestlers want a safe environment because we shouldn't be injuring ourselves or causing issues in the crowd and people shouldn't feel unsafe coming to a wrestling show. And now that there's business sense to make sure that crowds are safe, you see more people following suit. But it wasn't always financially safe to say, hey, we're, we're an accepting crowd and we're not going to put up with that kind of stuff. Now that it is, you know, obviously things change with the times. And if it's financial pressure that makes them do it, then, hey, go on ahead. Make your changes. That's so crazy. No, 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 uh, no rope, barbed wire, death match. Fine. Gay guy. Ugh. We need 20 years. Too much. Let's wait. Um, So for you, from your experience here, you know, it does seem like, you know, especially here in the last few years, at least on the surface, the pro wrestling community and business has become more inclusive of the LGBT community, women's rights. Do you you feel that? Do you feel like it's uh, a genuine thing or do you think that there's more lip service to it than that? You know, I think for the most part, it is genuine. I think the thing we're dealing with now is for the longest time in professional wrestling, you were told what to do by the person in charge and you knew clearly who was in charge and these are the people. And now it's very muddy as to who's in charge. You've got indie guys who are kind of doing whatever they want and promotions are booking them because they do whatever they want. You've got companies who, you know, are having to sign these exclusive deals with people to keep them, you know, make sure they're doing stuff that they want. There's a lot of creative stifling, but for the people that are, actually taking the effort and bringing them in they're seeing growth in the fan base because they're seeing people who are saying hey i haven't felt comfortable coming to a wrestling show in 10 20 years and i'm seeing this safe space and these new performers and they're people like me who are performing who are gay athletes who are lesbian athletes who are transsexual athletes there's all of this different stuff happening now where people are being brought back in the fold and the fans are genuinely happy the companies are genuinely happy we're we're all working together and nobody's really fully in charge, you know, except for the people paying the money. Yeah. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about the reaction you get from the fans. I'm sure it's got to be both sides. I'm sure you're hearing from people that are saying it's so great, like you said, to see somebody I can identify with. But I would imagine you're getting a lot of negative tweets as well. Yeah, I mean, you get some stuff. and, And really, most of the negativity has come from like, well, you know, all right, you've talked about gay people and LGBT stuff. When are you going to be done talking about that? That's not a gimmick. That's just a thing. And it's sort of like, well, I'll stop talking about it when we stop having problems. I'll stop talking about it when trans people stop showing up murdered. I'll stop talking about it when gay people can walk down the street and not get beat up. And these are still things that happen. And a lot of times, especially in these bigger metropolitan areas, yeah, there's still issues. But for the most part, we got a pretty widely open-minded city crowd who's moved a little forward. 
But in these smaller towns, you've still got this, uh, even beyond hate for LGBT people, there's still a lot of racism. There's still a lot of like jingo nationalism for people who are from other countries, for people who speak other languages. And you don't see that if you're only going to these big metropolitan shows. So there is still a lot of work to be done. But yeah, we are expecting these bigger promotions to make the first step because it makes it safe for everybody else. Do you see incremental change when you like slowly get to move into territories that were more resistant, but now are more opening now? Are you seeing like, I mean, I'm just talking like, I guess, in America in general, do you feel like pro wrestling is helping to create that incremental change? Pro wrestling has to help it. And they're realizing that now. You know, we're, I'm seeing the change all the time, and I've, I've, I think I've wrestled in like 20 different states now, which is awesome. And I think about that all the time, how crazy that is, that I was paid money to come to this place and wrestle for people outside of the normal, and they were entertained, and we had a great time, and it was a different audience in every town. Um, and when I look at kind of the incremental changes happening, it's people coming up to you in the locker room. It's queer people getting booked more. It's seeing the faces, you know, that you wouldn't expect to pop up, pop up. And that's awesome to see. And you're seeing across the country of like, okay, maybe five years ago in Alabama, I probably would have been treated like a piece of crap. And I would have been treated like a god in California. But now those smart fans with the internet are kind of everywhere who have their research, who know what's up, who are a little more uh, liberally conscious, um, a little more internet friendly. And you're getting these fans everywhere who are like, I've been following you for a while. And you're like, I've never even been here before but we now have the reach to get to people all over the place and at least say, Hey, here's our, here's our point of view. Here's our message. If you want to be a part of this message, bring us in and let's do it. If not, that's cool, but you're going to lose out on money. And that's where you see the changes start to happen. You know, when they bring you in and it makes a real difference at the door, it might only make a few people difference at the door. They get to see that like, Oh man, we've been not booking queer talent and they could have been adding to our show or we've been not booking black talent and they could have really been adding to our show. Um, We just have to show them every day. Yeah. And I guess that brings me here. Let's talk about the rise promo then for a second. You know, it was a real call to arms, call to action for promoters here as you called them out for, you know, booking, you know, LGBTQ talent during pride month, but, but not year round, like in the wake of that, What's the reaction been like? Do you feel like that you, you did actually jolt some promoters here and, and do some good for the community? I think so. I mean, first and foremost, Rise has taken a really public stance after that show to say, look, we're going to continue booking all kinds of performers. You know, we're not we're not going to base the booking on who they are, what they believe, who they love. We're going to base the booking on putting out some of the best matches we can. And, I mean, they just had a really killer, killer main event. It might not have even been the main event, but it was Priscilla Kelly versus Jake Atlas, who were, you know, Jake is an openly gay wrestler. Priscilla's dealt with a lot of controversy. They just went out there and wrestled as wrestlers. It wasn't, we weren't making a big deal about, oh, this is a big intergender match, or oh, this is a gay man and a woman. It was just, here's two really good competitors, and we're going to show you how good they are, and they're going to duke it out and see who's the best. And getting to just watch that from the perspective of not having it be a sideshow or not having it be this, you know, little silly, here's the silly gay match it's really important and you're seeing the change there. I will say this after I cut that promo, I, they were not pumped. Um, hmm. I don't think they understood exactly what I was going to do. And I went out there and I dropped names and I told truth and I said what I had to say. And then, you know, by Monday, by the time the video had gotten out and people had had a chance to sort of see what I was saying, um, the response was very different and it was, wow, you actually had some really great points. And, I guess we did just need to give you a little bit of creative license there to say what you needed to say. And I haven't lived your experience, so I can't know that. And it would have made them a little 
frightened if I had told them every detail before I went out there and they probably would have said no, but you know, sometimes we got to grab things by the horn and do it ourselves. Man. And I trusted my gut on this when and went for it and uh, it worked. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Isn't that like the, exactly that the mantra of, of pro kinda, yeah. I look at it this way, you know, right now, still, if there's four or more gay people booked on a show, it's a gay show. And I'd like to look away from that. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to keep categorizing ourselves. Well, he's a gay performer. Or he's a deathmatch performer. Or he's a flippy guy or he's a hardcore guy or, oh, that's an intergender wrestler. It's, it's a bigger picture of like, let's point out all of our differences so that we can get past it. And then we can just entertain and professionally wrestle. And I said to somebody in a previous interview, I said, they said, you push a lot of buttons, Effie. And I do, I push buttons on purpose because it's entertaining to me personally. Um, and they said, what are you going to do when there's no more buttons left to push? I said, I'll be done. I'll be done. I'll be finished. The, the point of Effie is to eat itself alive. If I, can, if I can get to a point in wrestling where there's nothing for me to complain about or nothing for me to bring up as injustice or nothing for me to bring up as a problem, then there's no use for me, and that would be a beautiful, awesome day. And I'll go back and do a generic Trunks gimmick, and I'll just wrestle. But until that point, I'm going to use my platform to say, look, these guys aren't getting paid on this show. Or look, these talents are being underutilized or not booked at all. Or look, this show is only featuring white men. That's it. Until we reach a point where I can't complain about those things, I'm going to keep being that thorn in the side. And as I told people in that promo, I'm independently wealthy. I love making money in wrestling. I don't need a dime of it. But I'm going to stand out here and put my neck out and risk the wrestling I do have to say that you don't get to treat performers like this anymore. There's too much knowledge out there. There's too many people talking. Uh, there's too many of us talking to let any of this stuff still fly. And I still know people are working shows and not getting paid. I mean, big shows. And they're getting told, well, you're getting exposure. You're getting seen by these people. And you're getting seen by the Fed. And the, the consensus seems to be, well, if you're not getting paid, why are you doing it? And it's because that's the system in place now. And the people at the top know that that's the system in place now. And it's very frustrating to have to continue and you know, we're victim-blaming performers for taking opportunities when they're the only opportunities there, when there are people who could pay these performers for putting their lives on the line without any question, and they choose not to and set that precedent. That's what's bugging me right now. Yeah, well, t- call David Starr, right? He's the one who's trying to get everybody uh, together. Me and, D- me and David have good conversations, and I, I can always tell that we're a little bit on a different page. David is very performer-focused and making sure that we are unionizing, we are getting our rights. I'm more focused right now on how do we get more people to watch wrestling? How do we get more casual fans to the door? How do we stop advertising to the same hundred fans who were here last month? How do we get more people to see how much fun wrestling is and stop gatekeeping the fanship and stop gatekeeping who's allowed to be at wrestling and who's allowed to be where and start looking at, all right, well, here's a town of 300,000 people. We drew a hundred people. Where was the rest of the town? Why didn't they know? Why weren't they here? Why don't they know about wrestling? And I think it's going to take a, a big look at ourselves and how we advertise everything to get to a better place in wrestling where we can draw people who aren't. They may not follow me on Twitter, and they might still come to the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just need to know what's really going on. Uh, Someone wanted to ask you, uh, what, did, what, did you uh, what do you think of the Goldust character? Um, just, you know, that was the, I mean, you know, they say a feminine, right? But that was kind of the, the only openly kind of gay character for a long time for wrestling fans in the mainstream. Yeah, for sure. And especially in that attitude era, it was about pushing those buttons. And I always joke that uh, Goldust for me is the anti-John Cena 
<laughs> because John Cena's a guy that everybody would like to hang out with, but I really couldn't give a crap when he's wrestling. Goldust, I love watching him wrestle. I love his character work. I love his vignettes. I love everything he did in the ring. But God, if I have to hear an ex-drug addict talk about Jesus any longer, I, I'm done. So I look at him and I say, what an important addition to professional wrestling as a character. But I also look at, you know, recent things and, you know, no offense, I'm sure we get along fine, but there is sort of a shaming of the stuff he did and a shaming of the character he was. And well, that wasn't me. And I'm just playing a character and I'm just this, instead of sitting back and saying, no, I'm fine with whatever gold dust did because that was my character and I did it to my best. And I support people who live this way, you know, instead of turning it around and, and shaming away from something that was important to a lot of people is still important to a lot of people and made a big change in wrestling that allowed for a lot of us to end up getting in this position 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting too, because now, you know, the man who played gold dust, Dustin, right. Of course is side by side with Sonny kiss, who I know also is a big fan of gold dust. I've, I've talked to him about it. Um, what do you, what do you think of AEW and the kind of, you know, it seems more of a progressive agenda they're putting forward with their wrestling company. We're trying to, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I also think from a person who watches professional wrestling, I watch professional wrestling with my boyfriend. I force him to watch it. And we always, I ask him questions very, because I'm in on everything, right? So I can't have an objective opinion. So I just, we play a game called cool or dweeb. And you'd be surprised the amount of times that like guys who wrestling fans would think are so cool to a casual person are just coming across as dweebs. And I think sometimes we have to take a step back and look at our roster and look at what they're doing and look at the content they're putting out and look at the way we're filming ourselves and showing ourselves to an audience right before we get on national TV and go, are we cool or are we dweebs? Not to your, not to your hundred fans or whatever the amount of fans is that are obsessed with the elite, that are obsessed with everything they do, that watch being the elite every week. We're talking about primetime TV, TNT, we know drama. Are you going to be cool or are you going to be a dweeb? And I want to see how it goes. And I wish them all the best. But I had this conversation with Sonny a few months ago. And it was, hey, Sonny, you're really, really good at a 7- to 10-minute TV match. I need you to be really, really good at an intense six-month feud that ends in a pay-per-view match that you build on weekly TV. And I know they're t having the same conversation inside, and I know they're having the same conversation over there. But you got a lot of guys who are real good at a 7- to 10-minute TV match, and now we have to translate that into telling stories they get people to tune back in the next week. Not just, I saw a cool match. I love wrestling. What a cool thing. Maybe we'll tune in. But I've got to see what happens with these characters. And if people forget that that is such a big factor to television wrestling, then we're all going to be lost. But it is the biggest factor to television wrestling is the storytelling. You look at the WWE for all the complaints I have about them, for the complaints about using Saudi blood money, for the complaints about using talent incorrectly, for the complaints about using gay athletes and then throwing them to the side after the PR opportunity is done. They're really good at those pre-match videos that get you caught up on the full story that may span six to eight weeks of television. I want to see that same thing from the people at AEW. I want to see intense stories. I want to see personal connection. I want to understand these characters beyond just, man, they're really good at flips and matches and doing a cool move because it has to be more than that now when you're in this space. Well said. Uh, Effie, I want to thank you so much for the time. Before we leave, i, I got to ask you, you know, what are, you, what are your goals going forward here? Is it a, a promotion, a title, an opponent? Like, what, what's next year on your bucket list? Man, when you ask Effie about goals, he gets a little crazy. <laughs> my, my goal is, uh, is to become uh, the person who goes past wrestling fandom. 
I want to be the wrestler that gets you into wrestling. I want to be the wrestler who you announce him and you've got a lot of people showing up that you didn't know about. I want to be the wrestler who can get on a Tonight Show spot promoting something, promoting a show, promoting an event without having the WWE machine behind me, without having the big cable machine behind me. We are in a time of entertainment and media where there are no rules anymore. Being on TV doesn't mean anything anymore. You have an opportunity to reach the world for free through the internet. And I want to use that platform to make it as big as possible to bring more people to wrestling, to bring more people to Effie, and to show the world that professional wrestling is the highest art form there is. It is live improvisational physical combat theater. And we need people to see how much fun and excitement can be brought to their lives with pro wrestling. And I'm going to do everything I can to get it there. Got to get you up on an improv stage with me. I'd love to do improv with Effie. I, I, oh, I, I can't I'm, bump, but I can, I can do f- funny one-liners, you know? Great. I, I usually tell people I don't bump either. Somebody said, why aren't you doing this show? And I said, I don't bump. <laughs> it hurts, man. It hurts to do that it hurts. stuff. We're over it. It hurts. We're over it. Uh, Effie, thank you again. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up today? Yeah, Instagram and uh, Twitter are at Effie Lives. Uh, it used to be Kill Effie, but I didn't die, so now it's Effie Lives. Uh, and then I got a pro wrestling key store, pro wrestling keys.com slash Effie Lives. Ton of fun designs, good stuff, no inside jokes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. May you have a happy new year. It has been such a great and rewarding 2019 for me uh, over here at Wrestling Inc. And, and just to be able to get to bring you guys great interviews like you heard here today and more punditry uh, throughout the week. We got bigger, better plans for the Winkley here in 2020. So stick along for the ride. I can tell you it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, tomorrow we're going to be back with part three of the Winkley Best of 2019 series. You're going to get to hear from Ric Flair, Rocky Johnson, Jeff Jarrett, Rey Mysterio, and Mark Henry. I can't wait to put those into your ear holes here tomorrow. Uh, and of course, if you like the show, go over to Wrestling Inc. Audio on iTunes, give it a nice five-star rating, give it a nice comment. Always appreciated. And uh, of course, I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you again so much for spending your Christmas with us here at the Winkly. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.